Well, hey, and welcome to episode 18 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krizman, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, we celebrate the 23 baptisms that took place this past Sunday across both of our campuses. We discuss the role that baptism and the Holy Spirit play in the life of a disciple of Jesus, and we talk about what Paul considers the result of our baptism and the hope that we can have in it. One disclaimer before we dive into today's episode, we cover a lot of text. We know we didn't spend very much time on Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 16, so today we're going to talk a lot about that. So I, I do suggest if you're able, maybe you're at home or at the office, if you're able and willing to grab your Bible, it may be helpful to track along with this conversation. Now, obviously, do not do that if you're driving or operating heavy machinery, but if, you, if you're able, it may be helpful as you track along in this episode. Well, without further ado, we hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey guys, happy Monday. Hello. Hey guys, good well, to be back. Welcome. Yeah, welcome back, Josh, after a long road trip. Very long. Over the last week, back to uh, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How'd that go? It went really well. It was good uh, to be back. Good to see people. Um, had the opportunity to catch up with some folks that, you know, living across the country, just hadn't seen in a really long time. And um, got to go to the first church I worked in. So that was awesome. I got to honor my father-in-law. I was telling you guys, he just faithfully was at one church his whole life. And the thought of that was just really cool that he baptized his daughters there, that he saw them both get married. And then that's where they did his funeral. And just he was there in an age that people leave all the time and uh, bounce around church hop, church shop. You know, it was his faithfulness to one place through, I don't know, he probably had eight ministers, maybe. Yeah, um, wow. Uh, but he just kept serving. And kept giving. So it was really, it was a great thing to to see. And um, there were some really cool pieces of, again, just being back at that first church you serve in. Um, you know, I'm sure if you went back to your first church, it would be like, oh, oh yeah. Like some things haven't changed. But, uh, and there's some cool about that. And then there's some things you're like, oh, they should probably not do that anymore. But that's <laughs> awesome. Glad they're, glad they're still doing it. And got to see some ladies who um, were there when I was just a kid. And now that I have kids and, you know, they're so happy for me and my wife. So it was a great time. Yeah. So good. just to connect the dots, you went back for your father. Yeah. Yeah. My father-in-law, so yeah. My father-in-law passed away. Uh, my wife's dad. Uh, and so we, uh, the funeral was this past weekend. Um, and so that's the church that I first served in in ministry. Mm -hmm. um, and it's where I met my wife. It's obviously where I met, you know, my kind of family started there. So yeah, we uh, drove home, the family and I. But my kids are really close with them, and I got to spend a lot of time with them. And so um, those of you who are grandparents, um, you know, just that value and part of our moving around and last day uh, in Kentucky was to get closer to them and to be with them. And so my kids did. They had a really great relationship with them. And like I said, he faithfully served the Lord. And it was one of those funerals that is sad, um, but, uh, you know, we saw grief. But, man, he is for sure with Jesus, there was no one who questioned, um, no one who questioned anything. Um, so it was really nice piece. Like I said, both, uh, and they mentioned it during the, the funeral message that both of his daughters, my wife and then my sister-in-law, attribute their faith to their dad. So it was really cool just even listening to your, y'all's podcast last week, thinking through uh, that 
dad's God's responsibility. And that's what he did. Let yeah. his family in anybody outside of where he was, don't they don't know him. They don't know Bob Robinson, right? Mm-hmm. But like his wife and uh, or my wife and his other you know, his other daughter have faith in Jesus because of him, just because mm-hmm. he did what he was supposed to. So mm-hmm. just a great reminder for me, just the role that I get to play. And hopefully one day that'll be my kid's story too, that they're telling people, yeah, I know Jesus because my dad just kept telling me about him and doing the thing. And so a uh, great way to honor him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Uh, there was this story that popped up that you reminded me of this morning, Josh, that I wanted to maybe let's spend a minute chatting about. Um, it was this Jeopardy story, right? So if you've been tracking, it was on a couple of news uh, outlets too, but if you've watched Jeopardy, then you may have may have caught this live or as a rerun. There was this question, right? And the question was, what was the, um, who, is it who wrote? Was that the yeah, question? Who was- wrote the epistle that references the Old Testament the most in the New Testament? I think it was which letter of Paul's which letter of Paul's yeah which letter did Paul write that references the most old testament, old testament scripture. scripture okay yeah. okay uh which of Paul's letters references yeah. the most old yeah. testament scripture yeah and i think it's a fitting thing to talk about because i think most of us would say oh that's probably the book of romans right is that what you guys would probably guess oh for sure yeah 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 so there was one contestant that said, yeah, Book of Romans. And then the other contestant said, oh, no, I think it's Hebrews, which is a little controversial uh, because across the board, we, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, right? We can take a, a half-educated guess, but the reality is like there is no uh, stated author of the Book of Hebrews, nope. like, like many, uh, all of Paul's letters, right? Um, so the, the interesting thing was, I think they actually gave the, the points to the contestant that chose the book of Hebrews, which then within this, you know, small Christian circle blew up into this controversy of how, why would they do that? They don't know. What do you guys think about that? Oh, I, as soon as I heard it, I was like, no, not Hebrews was not written by Paul. All right. And I'm going on the record here. Look Look at any of Paul's letters, and they're written as letters, and they all state that I, Paul, am writing this thing. Hebrews actually isn't even a letter. What Hebrews is is essentially a sermon. If you read it, it's one long sermon with a little section put on at the end, but it's not a letter. It's a sermon, and it's uh, there's nothing in it that would tell us that Paul wrote it. So I, it, yeah, so for me, I was 100% in the camp of, Oh no, they blew this one. That you can't you can't credit Paul with the book of Hebrews. So, uh, so that was the camp I was in. I just thought it was silly. I yeah. thought it was I. So I I also do not believe Paul wrote Hebrews. I actually think it was Apollos, but I have my own reasonings for that. Um, Some actually say Priscilla. I yeah, that's <clears throat> ooh. I really like that take. I don't know that I believe it, but I think it's an interesting one. Yeah, Apollos, when they first meet him and they talk about how he is teaching the scriptures in a way that nobody knows. Yeah. And he's talking about like it fits because that's what yeah. Hebrews is essentially yeah. teaching mm-hmm. for them what would have been the scripture. So yeah. uh, it doesn't have to be, but that's what I'm so yeah. I'm making on. Um so but yeah, I saw it too. It's so funny. I was at, um on Twitter and so I saw just people just all up in arms but like if you're not on a twitter bo- on twitter address <clears throat> no people don't get up in arms on twitter <laughs> i didn't know what people are you on talking twitter about? knew the bible existed what are you talking about? <laughs> i actually follow people who follow the bible but anyways the, that was the fun part because here lately the conversations about it's just been i'm like i'm so tired of 
all these conversations being about this. So it was a fun moment of like, oh, we're the only people in the world who would care about this. Yeah. We're the only people who are like, no, it can't. There's no way it's Paul. Like across the board. Yeah. There was no one who was like, oh yeah, I could get with Paul. Yeah. Right. Like nobody's <laughs> take was that. And then it was like, does that have the most Old Testament references? And then everybody just kept going and going and going. So that was a really good piece of it. And then the other, so the other part is, as I was saying this morning, how much of the Bible is still culturally relevant? Like we watch a lot of game shows, um, but partly to my father-in-law, he was always watching the game show channel. So we watch a lot of game shows and there is so many questions that always, just this morning I was watching one. It asked what language was the New Testament originally written in? Just all the time. And it's just, there you go. Jeopardy always has questions about, I always feel good too when I'm watching Jeopardy and they have a Bible question. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to win. Oh, I'm like, give me that daily double. Let's go. (laughs) Give me that daily double. It's just, you know, um, and everybody, my wife, there was one on not too long ago. And she kind of looks at me like, you ready? Oh, here's your, here's your category. (laughs) And I know a lot of knowledge about random things, but I feel like we should, we should always do really well in these categories. Yeah. 16th century English authors I'm out. from Poland. <laughs> I'm out. But it's crazy how culturally relevant the Bible is still supposed to be. Yeah, yeah I'd see it all the time. Like every time uh, there's a news story and the byline on the bottom is Good Samaritan helps somebody do something. And I always go back and I wonder, does 90% of the people who are watching the news understand that that's a biblical reference. Mm-hmm. When we talk about Good Samaritan, that that only comes from Scripture. The fact that they even know what a Good Samaritan is only comes because of the influence of the Bible in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. Uh, yeah. To your point, Josh, I, I'm always intrigued when... Uh, Topic biblical topics pop up in things that are now kind of pop culture, right? Like Jeopardy is a game and it's been around forever, and but it's still like it's pop culture, and we're we're hearing these questions that are uh, obviously real near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. But it's interesting that it's just oh, you're, they're interested in this uh, this knowledge as well, apparently. So yeah, I just thought it'd be fun to chat about that a little bit uh, before we dig into. Uh, to this past weekend, which I know we want to spend just a little bit of time on the front end here, um, simply just celebrating this past Sunday, right? So we we were uh, fortunate enough to be a part of 23 baptisms on Sunday, yeah, which I yeah. think is yeah. incredible. Um, and, and essentially, that was what the entire message was driving towards, right? We know that in, in this text, in the beginning of Romans 6, Paul hits on this, this idea of baptism. So we felt it really, really important to spend as much time as we we needed to on that topic. Um, but again, I'm just, uh, I'm grateful um, for those who made the decision to be baptized. I know each of those 23 people have a, a unique story, um, and I'm really encouraged by, by what happened. Yeah, I was in New Mexico. We had just finally gotten into New Mexico when it was church time, so we fired up the, the stream, um, and we're watching 8 o'clock. And saw, you know, those people down front. And then uh, we tuned back in at 9.30 and tuned back in at 11 to see. Again, it was great. A couple of people at the 9.30 it was like, oh, John. There was like a guy, John, dad, I I had chatted with him. Um, he actually came to when we had a conversation just about baptism. Mm. Wanted to know more. And so to see him take that, like to act out on going, hey, I, I need to do this. It was important. Um, there was a younger girl, Melissa, one of our volunteers mm-hmm. on our 
our breeder team. Yep. Uh, so I was like, oh, man, that's so cool seeing her. And then just so all the different folks, all the different people um, who you see around, uh, you see a part of our, our community of faith, uh, mm-hmm. you see them take that step. Uh, so it was great for us to be able to, even though we were not physically here, to still be a part of that and to witness that and to, you know, like I said, it would have been awesome to be uh, in the room, but our whole family got to, to see that and we got to chat about it in the car driving across the country. So definitely thankful for technology. Yeah, that's, that's good. Go ahead, yeah, Jason. it was a lot of fun and uh, getting to see people respond. And some of them even come after the service and say, yeah, I should have came up and I didn't. So can I do it now? Yeah. And we did some in between services. So uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And um, I think for all that are listening, if you kind of walked out thinking, man, I should have done that too. It's not too late. So that we don't right. do um, strictly baptism Sundays around here. We're ready to, to baptize whenever you're ready. Like we want to practice what we preach this weekend. Like when somebody comes to saving faith, we want to have the baptism ready. And so if, if you're still feeling that tug, um, just invite you to call us, have a conversation, come by and we'll, we'll do it anytime. Yeah. 100%. And uh, the, the flip side of that is if, uh, there's any lingering questions, right? I know we'll hit on some that were popular from from the messages past Sunday, specifically about baptism. We'll, we'll cover a couple of what I think are really important questions. Uh, but we're always happy to just have the conversation, right? If you don't understand, if you're you're feeling conflicted um, biblically, like let's sit down, let's chat more about it, because um, yeah, it's something that we we consider really really important. So. Um, yeah, again, I just walked away encouraged. I was in PV this Sunday, so we got to experience baptism. Um, but then even just hearing the news of what was going on in Prescott, I was I was uh, real excited. So it was kind of cool to be from afar, still engaged in this thing, you know, as one church, you know, being able to celebrate together. Yeah, so, watching Joe uh, and his yeah. baptized daughter, him and Heidi out there was really awesome. Just to hearing him talk to her just as a dad, like, mm-hmm. hey, this is the this is the easiest decision. Now you'll learn what it means to keep walking this faith out every day saying yes to Jesus, that step of obedience. Always really cool. Um, obviously being a dad means a little bit more. So uh, just seeing him uh, get to do that and just have that moment with her. Yep. Uh, it's just really special. So. Yeah, that is cool. Well, Hey, let's, let's dig into a couple of questions that popped up specifically about baptism and then we'll take some time and cover the rest of the text. So the reality this Sunday is we felt that that covering the topic of baptism was so important that it meant we were going to spend more time there than we spent in the second half of our text, like verse six through 14. So we do want to spend some time covering verse six through 14 today. I know we've got some thoughts on that, but before that we have really two questions uh, that came in that I think we need to cover. And the first is this, um, is baptism a requisite for salvation or is baptism a public confession of a prior commitment to follow Jesus? And then the second part of the question is, is salvation grace alone or grace plus? So Jason, would you start by just tackling a little bit of that question? Yeah, that's a good one. We get this a lot. Um, And let's just be honest, the the way you're going to answer this is going to depend upon what your background of faith is. So again, what our Catholic brothers and sisters would say is 100% you have to be baptized. Like there's no question. Like that is how grace is manifest to you. Uh, Even Lutherans, this is why they do 
uh, infant baptism is because they believe in original sin, and that original sin will condemn you, and so you are baptized to undo the power of original sin. So for those who are Catholics or Lutherans specifically, uh, they're going to answer this differently. Uh, we believe <clears throat> that baptism... Um, let me back up. We believe that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Like that, we believe that. We believe that uh, that um, Ephesians two eight is true. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Like that is that's what we believe. Now the question becomes, where do these other expectations fit in? Okay, so when you ask the question, is it grace or grace plus? That I think that's a bit of a misnomer. That's where we get a little bit into trouble because we are saved by grace. But even people who understand that we are saved by grace would also admit there is something that we do somehow to respond to grace. There's some you have to respond. You got to receive the grace of Jesus in some form. Okay, so think about it this way. Um, a pastor stands up and at the end of a message says, hey, if you want to have, if you want to put your faith in Jesus today, uh, raise your hand or bow your head and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me or walk this aisle or fill out this card or whatever the thing is or pray silently in your head. The question then becomes, are, would you consider any of those things to be grace plus? The act of raising my hand, does that make it grace plus? The act of filling out the card, does that make it grace plus? Does the act of praying the prayer or repeating the prayer after the pastor, does that make it grace plus? And I think no, nobody would say that. Of course not. There is some sort of response to receiving the grace of Jesus. That's, that's everything in Scripture tells us that we have to receive it in some form. What we would say is that biblically, Scripturally, the way that people expressed and received grace was through baptism. Again, it's not a work, it, but it is a surrender. It is the way that you receive the grace of Jesus. So we are, it's not anything that we are doing. It's something that's done to us. It is a gift given to us. Um, so I guess all of that to say we are saved by grace through faith. And what we would say is that Baptism is the way, biblically, that one receives faith. The other thing I would say is, when we, when we ask this question this way about, is it grace plus, again, we're leaving out so many expectations. So um, Romans 10.9 says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is, I'm sorry, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the question becomes is, can you just believe in your heart without confessing with your mouth? In that text, it's both of those are put together uh, uh, as, as an expectation for those who are followers of Jesus. Um, when, when Paul, on the day of Pentecost, said, hey, you have to repent and be baptized, that's the expectation. What do we do, Paul or Peter? Peter what yeah. do we do, Peter? Well, you repent and you are baptized, every one of you. That's what you do. Well, could you just get baptized without the repentance? Is there salvation without repentance? So there are these expectations that we have 
So when we say grace alone, yes, it is grace alone, but that doesn't remove the expectations of things like repent and confess and be baptized. Like those are expectations. And where we get caught up is we want to try to separate all of these things and put a, a definitive answer on when it's it's after you, do you have to do the confession piece? Is that when you're saved? What if you confess and never repent? Are you still saved? Can you repent without confessing, but you're baptized? Like we want to try to dice this thing apart in a way that scripture never does. Like there's this expectation throughout scripture. Here's what disciples of Jesus do. You believe, you repent, you confess, and you are baptized. That's what you do. This is what disciples of Jesus do. And when we try to parse these things apart, uh, I think that's where we get ourselves into trouble. This, this is just what God tells his people to do. And all of it, all of it, we confess by grace. We are, we, re- repentance is grace. Like it talks about, uh, Paul will talk about praying for people to have the grace of God that brings about repentance. Like it, all of that is the grace of God. And so uh, to say it is by grace and and have this expectation that there's nothing else expected along with that, I just don't see it as biblical. Uh, there's a great theologian named Dallas Willard who has a great line who says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. It's not opposed to effort. Like it, it Grace does never it never means that you just sit back and do nothing. Like that's not biblical grace. That's never been biblical grace. It's not that you sit back and but what grace does is it actually empowers us to go do something. That's what grace does. So we are we are empowered to do something by the grace that is given to us. So our grace doesn't I'm sorry. Our actions don't earn us anything. Grace is what gives us everything. But there is an expectation that we respond to the grace that Jesus has given us. Um, so hopefully that answers. It may just make things worse. Uh, yeah, I don't know that it does. I What I found really interesting is before we, we chatted a little bit about this question specifically, and you brought up the idea of right repentance. Yes, yeah. what that's what Peter says. Hey, repent and be baptized. This is the, in Acts 2, 38, right? Yeah. That's what he says. Um, and I it's interesting because we hear this conversation around baptism and baptism being a work and baptism just being an outward expression of your faith and all of these these one-liners that people will share in confidence even though it's not something that we see biblically but we never hear those things about repentance i don't anyways i i would be hard-pressed to ever have had a conversation where someone that's a follower of jesus and, and genuinely buys into the faith says oh actually but i don't repent yeah like I don't repent because that's work and I'm, I actually am saved by grace. Right. Yeah. So, and I don't need to repent and I don't. Right. Yeah. So that's, that was a, a little bit of a mindset shift in my mind around, Oh, there's something with this baptism thing that I think we've done a real disjustice to you, a disservice to you rather around denominational polls to believing in or not believing in salvation through baptism, that sort of thing. Uh, but that's, when I look at repentance, I'm like, oh, it's actually pretty cut and dry. I wonder, I wonder what we need to do to get baptism to that place. Yeah. And again, put perseverance in that category. Right. Again, Jesus makes it very clear. Only those who persevere to the end will be saved. Like there is this expectation that we have. Yeah, it's great that you come to faith, but you also have to stay in faith. Like you have to keep persevering in faith. There is no salvation outside of perseverance. And so this idea, so when, when somebody asks the question, is it grace plus, 
it's only grace, ever only grace. But with that grace, there is these expectations that that uh, that are given to us biblically that we persevere by grace. We obey by grace. We confess by grace. We repent by grace. Grace is the the underlying current of all of it. So we're not doing any of those things in and of our own power. It is all the grace of, of God. Um, but again, I just come back to this idea of it doesn't matter where you come from, no matter what church, what what your moment of salvation, what your moment of faith, however it began, it began with, with you having to respond. You had to respond by raising your hand. You had to respond by praying a prayer. You had to respond by walking the aisle. You had to respond by filling out the card. There was an expectation that you respond to the grace. It wasn't just applied. You had to respond. And so whatever that response is, the question is, does that does that undo the grace? Because I raised my hand, that was a work. It required me to do something. Did that mean that it was no longer by grace? I filled out the card. That means it was no longer by grace. I, whatever the thing is, you had to respond. And what we're saying is just what we see biblically over and over again, the biblical response. There is no such thing as a sinner's prayer in Scripture. You will never actually see anyone ever praying for salvation in Scripture. It's just not there. The biblical response, what shall we do, Peter? Here's what you do. You repent and you are baptized. That's what you do. And so that isn't a work. It is a response to the grace of God. And so, um, yeah, so hopefully that clears that up. Yeah, it's good. Josh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to say, I kind of see it like it's just a gospel command. Yeah. Like we're commanded to do this thing. To, as we follow the gospel, we are commanded by Jesus, number one, to baptize disciples. And then Peter's response literally is, what should we do? We heard you preach the gospel, which is the telling of the story of Jesus. Oh, we believed it. We had faith. We were commanded to believe it and have faith. Well, now I command you, repent and be baptized. Yeah. And out of my obedience to the command of the gospel, that's what I do. And so that's just how we how I see it as well. Again, and try not to get caught up in, do I have to? Do I not have to? Should I? We are commanded, so we should do the thing, which is the same way with perseverance. We are commanded biblically a couple of sermons ago. We saw that to persevere. Right. And if we don't persevere, what happens? Right. We, we lose it. So we just quit and punt our faith down the road. And so, again, that's, I see that. But it, again, I don't see it as a, a bad thing that I have to command, that I'm commanded to do this, that yeah. I have to obey. Right. And I think we, we hear that I'm, I have to do this. And then it becomes all this thing. And I'm like, yeah, this is what the gospel calls of us. This mm-hmm. is my response. This is how I'm invited into the story of God. He, allows me to partake in this beautiful picture. And he says, now, Josh, I need you to do this. I need you to confess and repent and be baptized. And that's how you enter into and accept and receive all of the blessings that God has unleashed within the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I go, okay, I'm in, right? Like, that's again, what I hope our response is, instead of getting caught up on the nuances of all the questions behind it, like, and the wonderings behind it and all the stuff. So, yeah, I do think it's, I find it interesting that I don't know how many times have you had a conversation with a brand new 
believer where it's like, hey, this is the next step. Repent, be baptized. Here, here we are. And they're like, wait, no, I don't believe in that. No, they don't. They don't care. They're just learning the thing for the first mm. time. The reality is it gets really tricky when you love Jesus and you've been a follower of Jesus in one way, shape or form, but you haven't yet done this because of your faith background, because of the way that you were, you were raised in the church, because of whatever your preconceived notions of baptism are. That's where this is really, really hard. Cause then you're asking the question, well, what happened? And here's, here's the next question, right? What happened to my great aunt who loved Jesus, but was never baptized? What happened to my whole Catholic family that was sprinkled as a baby, but never actually was baptized by immersion? Like what's, what happens to those people? And that was a question that was also asked this, this past weekend. So, yeah. And here's the, here's the way that I typically will answer that question is people will ask it this way. And even our question came in this way, right? Is it a requisite? Do you have to do that to be saved? And, and I answer that question by saying, look, we don't, we don't get to determine who is saved and who's not saved. That's not our, that's not our purview. Can God save people who have not been baptized? Can he do that? Yes, God can do whatever he wants to do. Um, he can save however, whomever he wants. Uh, I, I will often ask this question. Is anybody going to argue that Mother Teresa isn't saved because she was not baptized as a believer? She was Catholic. She was probably likely baptized as an infant and spent her life loving and serving and sacrificing for Jesus all of her days. So that would anybody argue? No, no, no. Mother Teresa isn't in because she didn't get baptized as a believer, as an adult. No, nobody's making that argument ever. Who am I to say that? That's, that's terrible to, to even imagine that. No, God can save whomever he wants. The question becomes, are we, do we get to just to decide for God how he is going to save people? We don't even talk about saving people. When you talk, when you heard that whole sermon yesterday, there was nothing in it about do this to get saved. That was not the conversation. The conversation is, this is what disciples do. And when Jesus says, go make disciples, this is what they look like. And when Paul is talking to this church in Rome full of disciples he's never met, these are the assumptions that he had. I mean, he starts off with, hey, all of us who were baptized were baptized into his death. I mean, he's again, he's not trying to convince anybody in the church to be baptized. It was, it was just assumed you are in the faith, thus you have done this. So let me start with that assumption and teach you about your baptism. And that's the whole point of chapter six is he's just telling them what happened when they were baptized, not trying to convince them to get baptized. So we're not talking about salvation issues in this. This is not, I don't get to decide who's saved and who's not saved and how God is going to save. Here's what I do. I look at the Great Commission and I look at the commands and what does Jesus ask of his disciples? And my job is just to preach that. Here's the expectation. Hey, go make disciples. Hey, Jesus, how do we do that? Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything. You got to obey it all. Like you don't get to pick and choose. You got to obey the command to repent. You got to obey the command to confess. You got to obey the command to go make more disciples. You got to obey the command over, you got to obey all of them. Teach them to obey them. Like, so this is what disciples do. And so when we talk about baptism, I don't ever put it in the category of this is required to be saved. I don't the guy who slipped up 
going up the stairs to the baptistry, hit his head, and he died before he fell in. Is he saved? Yeah, God can do whatever he wants. I don't know. Here's the question that really matters. Have you, have any of us, are we doing what God has told us to do? I think we sometimes get caught up on trying to make the exceptions the rules. We try to build the rule around the exception. Yeah, could there be a guy out in the desert who comes to Jesus five minutes before the sun takes him out and he dies of dehydration, there's no water around? Will he be saved? I think we let God figure that one out. Here's the bigger question. What about the person sitting in the church who's been told, hey, here's how you respond to the gospel. Here's how grace works. You repent, you are baptized, you confess through your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You do. This is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And then I say in the face of that, yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that. But I still want to be considered a disciple of Jesus. That's where it gets a little dicey for me, is where we, where we get this obstinance to the direct commands of Jesus, and then yet want to call ourselves disciples of Jesus. So the <clears throat> so there is something in the fighting against what is readily available to us through the grace of Jesus that bothers me. And so I'm not, I'm not worried about the guy in the desert who doesn't get a chance. I'm worried about the people in the church who refuse to do the thing that Jesus tells them to do and then yet still wants to say, but I'm a follower of Jesus, even though I don't want to do what Jesus tells me to. That That's scary for me. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I, I get that too. Yeah, and I would just kind of tag on to that also. You know, we, one of our core values here is we teach the Bible. And I think most people, you come here, if you're listening, if you're a part of Quad City, it is because you appreciate that Jason just teaches the Bible, and along with all the rest of us too, and the things that we do in kids and students and all that. It's fun. It's wild the pushback here when he teaches the Bible. And just lays it out because there's a lot of things you teach, man. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, oh, oh, I don't want to obey. Oh, that's so hard. And this, you know, but we do it. And it's and and this one is so interesting. All the the weird points of pushback. And and like I said, it's nobody comes to me with these verses that say this. Mm -hmm. It's usually personal interpretations, uh, you know, or personal convictions and i'm like well what does the text say and that's why i thought you did such a great job of laying out the text of the book of acts all of the things and the best one is the ethiopian eunuch they're reading isaiah 53 and you're right there's nothing in isaiah 53 about baptism but somehow their conversation in to become a disciple of jesus ends on hey there's water i should do this thing Mm -hmm. what's stopping me why is that oh because that's the message that philip preached he was at Pentecost too. He saw all of these things. And so for me, it's over and over and over. It was like we claim, hey, we want to teach the Bible. And then the again, the the pushback on this one is it is just so different. It's just, it is interesting as um because again, I just see it and I'm like, yeah, we should just we should, you should do that thing. I it again, I know there's some personal things, and again, I'm not trying to say trying to discount your feelings or emotions, but part of it is I do think it's like what does the Bible say over and over and over and over again? And if you've read that and are trying to follow Jesus, don't you want it to be a disciple? Like, I, I want to be, and I just want to be a disciple who obeys. 
And so I just try to do those things. Um, and so, again, I think that's why I appreciate that you did. You just leaned in and said, hey, I'm just going to teach the text, and this is what the Word of God says. And yeah. ultimately, again, it's it's pushed back with what God says, and I'm with you. If God wants to let people in, that's his right to do so. Yeah. My call and your call and your call, Brendan, Jason's call, is to teach the Word of God as clearly as we can about things. And we don't get to change that. And we just got to teach it. And we know that it offends people, but it's still our responsibility to just teach what the word of God says. Yeah. And this is one of those. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard for me to waver on this um, and go, oh, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's no big deal. Because I go, ah, it seemed like a really big deal in the book of Acts over yeah. and over again. And what a what a cool gift, right? This is what I keep coming back to is like, what a gift that we have the writings that tell us the stories not just of what people post Jesus did and thought about what Jesus preached and taught, but more than that, it's what the earliest, closest relationships that Jesus had with people on earth did immediately after, right? Like that's the, that's Acts 1 and 2 and on throughout the book, right? It's We get these stories, Peter walking up a hill, preaching the gospel and saying, Hey, here's what you need to do, right? Answering the question, what 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 must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. Like that, obviously that mattered to Peter. Probably that should matter to me, right? I'm, I'm more removed. I didn't have that personal relationship. I wasn't as connected to the 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 person who was Jesus is Jesus. But uh, that's that's the example that we've been given as a gift, right? Like the scripture is a gift to us. Um, so that's what I keep coming back to. And then just to dig a, a step deeper into this question around baptism is, is directly, you know, something that Peter said in that moment, Acts, Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized for what, Josh? For the forgiveness of your sins and, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the, that's the next part of the question, right? Hmm. What role does the Holy Spirit play in all of this, right? We see a couple of thoughts throughout Scripture. We, we see a couple of instances where the Holy, Holy Spirit falls on groups of people, on individuals. But what Peter's saying here is, hey, actually, baptism and the Holy Spirit might be connected in this way, right? Be baptized for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then again, in Acts 10, a little bit later on, we see Cornelius, who who seemingly has the gift of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit has fallen on him, and he had not yet been baptized, but then he responds in baptism. So it's a little bit muddy waters as we move into this territory. So Jason, share share what you have to share on this. Okay. It's funny, because Josh and I actually had this conversation, yeah. what, two weeks ago? Yeah, lots yeah. of it. Yeah. Lots of the conversation. So this is one that we actually talked about. Um, here's what I'll say. So let's talk about she's, uh, this question specifically addresses Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, which is a really interesting case. So in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, who is a God follower, who's trying to figure out, he's praying, and the Lord calls to Cornelius and says, hey, go get a guy named Peter, and he'll come tell you all the all stuff. And Peter gets a message, hey, go to Cornelius's house, and I got a message for him, and I'm going to use you. This is the first instance of a Gentile coming to faith, okay? So this is what we have, uh, a non-Jewish person. We could say the Ethiopian eunuch, but the Ethiopian eunuch had already gone to the temple. Like, he was coming back from the temple. He was converted Jew, even though he was Egyptian. He was converted Jew. And so Cornelius is not a Jew, and so he is a Gentile. And so he goes, Peter goes to Cornelius' house and begins to preach the message, and 
And Peter, like, is really uncomfortable. He, like, walks in. It's, like, one of the most racist comments in the scripture, I think, is Peter going into Cornelius's house and says, uh, yeah, I don't normally hang out with people like you. <laughs> it's pretty, it's not great. But God sent me here, so what are we doing? And so he begins to preach the message to Cornelius. And as he's preaching the message, the text says, as he's preaching, this is uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come, that's the Jewish people, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, yes, the Holy Spirit came onto Cornelius before he was baptized. No doubt, 100%. The question would be why? Well, I think that why is given us right here in this text is because the gent I'm sorry the Jewish people had no they did not believe that the holy spirit would or could come upon the gentiles they they had they didn't see that they had never experienced that they didn't assume that would happen here now what's interesting though is what happens next so they heard them speaking in tongues they're astonished that the holy spirit had come and then peter said surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So, verse 48, so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So I always look at this one with, with Cornelius and say, if you're wanting to use first, I'm sorry, uh, of Acts 10 as a way to discount baptism, I, you're not reading it right, like because the very first thing when Peter sees the Holy Spirit, he then orders them to get baptized. So the receiving of the Holy Spirit did not, in Peter's mind, undo the need for baptism or the expectation of baptism. He ordered them, go get baptized. You've received the Holy Spirit. You need to get baptized. And immediately they were baptized. So again, what we see in this text is not we're going to pit our faith against baptism. We're not going to do that. It, these two things are together. The Holy Spirit and baptism are connected. Um, let me give you one more example. There's about three or four of these in Scripture. Let me give you one more just to help uh, help paint this picture for us. So uh, Acts chapter 19 is another one. So Paul ends up in the city of Ephesus. Okay, and here's what it says. It says, Paul took the road to the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So there's our question, is all you need to do is believe. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, wait, 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 wait. Then what baptism did you receive? Now, Again, it's very interesting here. Paul begins by asking about the Holy Spirit. They say, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul's immediate next question is, wait, wait, then what baptism did you receive? Like, Paul connects the dots here between the receiving of the Holy Spirit and the baptism. 
So when they say we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit, his first question is, well, then what about baptism? What did you do? What baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Ah, and it's like the light bulb goes off for Paul. It's apparently what happened. These were some people who were in Jerusalem, had heard John preaching the, the gospel of repentance. They went down and were baptized by John, and then they left before they got the end of the story. And so Paul tries to help connect the dots. Verse 4, Paul says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So he shares the rest of the gospel. John preached repentance, but he told people to believe in Jesus. On hearing this, verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So again, there is this connection and a, between the baptism and the Holy Spirit and apparently, again, they're baptized, and then Paul lays his hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. The, the, the issue here isn't, is it one or the other, and when does a person get the Spirit when they come to faith, or is it when they hit the water, or is it when they're under the water, is it when they're out of I think that stuff would just get too bogged down. What my hope would be is that we are always trying to close the gap. Here's these things, and they're all connected together. Our faith, our belief, our baptism, our confession, our repentance, these things are all simultaneous when we see these things in Scripture. They're always connected together, and I think we do a disservice when we try to parse them out. Um, I think what happened with Cornelius and even what happens here in Acts 19, I think these are the exceptions. I think when we when Peter says, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit, I think that is the normal, natural route, that we receive our the, the Holy Spirit. And that isn't to say that the Holy Spirit isn't working on us before we're baptized, because none of us would come to faith outside of the working of the Holy Spirit in us. So I think there is a natural sense in which we receive the Holy Spirit as promised at baptism. However, there are these exceptions, like we find with Cornelius, but it does not, does not undo or in un, any way undermine the expectation of baptism. In both of these instances, the receiving of the Holy Spirit and baptism were both together. Peter said, man, these guys have received the Holy Spirit. We need to baptize them. Who can stop them from getting baptized? It doesn't undermine what what the scripture teaches about baptism, it reinforces it. These things go together, and I think we just want to make sure that we're always just trying to keep them together. And again, I think that that just affirms what you had, the statements that you made specifically about this this being a sacrament, right? And what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. One, it's not just physical. Right. I think we've done a really significant disservice every time we say, hey, this is, baptism is just an external expression of an internal decision, right? Yeah. Like that's that's taking half of the thing away, yeah. right? There's this whole other spiritual realm battle going on, and this is playing a, a role in it, and that's something that we're not seeing. Um, and that can be hard to try to reconcile and, and figure out. Um, but again, I think that's why we have such a hard time, and we want to try to put a time and a place to salvation and receiving the Holy Spirit, and what role does baptism play in all of that? And reality is like, ah, just do the command. And all of these things are interplaying in in this realm and in the other at the same time yep. to 
to grow our relationship with Jesus, which is ultimately the goal to make us a, a closer following disciple of Jesus mm -hmm. to begin with. So, all right. Well, those are the questions that we had specifically about baptism. Um, here's, here's the flip side, right? We identified at the beginning that this message, <laughs> like this, this text that we covered, uh, the intention of it when Paul wrote it was not to convince people to be baptized. Correct. It was to tell them what happens when you are. Yep. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that, specifically the text we didn't get to on Sunday, which was verse six through 14 ish. Uh, what is Paul saying? Like, what is he saying? The implications of our baptism is what's the, the benefit to us there? What happens? Yeah, you're hundred percent right. This text was not Paul trying to convince the Roman church to go get baptized. Again, his assumption was they have already all been baptized. And what he's doing in this text is trying to help them understand that there was something really, really significant that happened when they were baptized, where he said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too may have a new life. What he's saying is that through our baptism, we actually participated in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so in doing so, we were moved out of Adam, out of the flesh, and into Jesus, which, and this is going to get fleshed out over the next few uh, weeks in our sermon series, um, that one of the biggest things that happened in that moment is that we were freed from the slavery of sin. So that was the whole point. Uh, so look at verse six, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. We were, we died, we were crucified so that the body of sin, body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died is set free from sin. Dead people don't sin. So when we have died because we are in Christ, that thing that had mastery over us died. That sin died. We died to sin. So when, again, this whole thing started by asking the question, hey, shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? That was the whole premise of this. He says, no, no, it, you can't just go on sinning because you died to sin. Or don't you know? When you died, when you were baptized, you died with Christ. You were crucified with him. Sin is no longer your master. Verse eight. Now, if we died with Christ, and that if there is, because we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. That death that came through Adam, that we all died because Adam died. Remember that text we talked about last week, uh, two weeks ago? When, when death came in through Adam, all died because we were all in Adam. Verse 10, the death Jesus died he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lived for God. We now get removed from Adam, and the death that came with Adam is gone. And we get to have Jesus' death accredited to us. And so, because Jesus died, he died once for all. For all who are in him, he died to sin, and thus we have died to sin. The life he lives, he lives to God, and thus the life we live we live to God. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive with God in Christ Jesus. That word in matters, in Christ Jesus, because we are now in Christ Jesus. And again, we talked about it this last week. 
Paul says, the way that we get in Christ Jesus, we are clothed with Christ. We are in him when we were baptized. That, that's what happened. And now that we are in Christ Jesus, he says, count yourself dead to sin. You don't have to follow sin anymore. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And I love the fact that he clarifies, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. He's talking about your physical body right now. He's not saying don't let sin reign when you're dead in the by and by, in the spirit realm. No, no, no. In your mortal body, there's something that has changed in your mortal body because we have died with Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. We now have a choice. We don't have to obey its evil desires anymore. Verse 13, do not offer your any part of your self as an, I'm sorry, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and to offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. Again, don't miss this. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Don't offer your hands as an instrument of wickedness. Don't offer your eyes as an instrument of wickedness. Don't offer your mouth, your lips, your tongue. Don't offer your feet as an instrument of wickedness. Don't offer your ears as an instrument of wickedness. Don't offer your mind as an instrument of wickedness. He says the parts of yourself, don't any part of yourself as an instrument of wickedness. All of those things can be used for sin. We know that. Don't offer your manland as an instrument of wickedness. Don't offer your whatever, all of it, any of it, any part of yourself. Josh is about to cry over here because I said that out loud. <laughs> keep going. The, keep going. Keep going, brother. Is, keep going. Preach. Any part of your body, like any part. He says, don't offer them up anymore because they they no longer belong to the old master who was sin. They don't belong to sin anymore. So we don't have to do what our old master wants. We've died to that master. But now he says, offer them, offer every part of yourself, offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. And I just think, how awesome would it be if we all just begin each day and say today, I know some people who pray this prayer, God, today I give you my hands. God, today, I give you my eyes. God, today, I give you my mouth. God, today, I give you my feet. God, today, I give you my mind. I give you my words. Every part of who I am, I offer them up to be used for righteousness today. Imagine if we actually took that literal and offered up ourselves, every part of us, as an instrument of righteousness today. That's what he's asking us to do, is to offer. Four, verse 16, four. Sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. We don't have to obey our sinful desires anymore. We have been set free because we have died to sin. And again, we're just, he's just starting this argument. He's going to flesh it out over the next couple of weeks. You're going to hear us talking about this, how we've died to sin and are now under a new master. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness, no longer slaves to the flesh, but we are slaves of God. So we don't have to obey our sinful desires anymore. And again, he points all of this back to what happened when we were baptized. We died 
with Christ. We were crucified, we were buried with him, and we were risen to new life in that moment. And because that is true, the implications of being in Christ in that way is we no longer are slaves to sin, that we've been set free from sin, and we don't have to obey it. We can now actually live in righteousness. So that's the whole point of this text. Yeah, when you were saying all those lists of your eyes, your feet, it, I thought of Romans 3, right? It's what he literally talks about when we laid that out. Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, their feet are swift to shed blood. And so he's already told us that these parts of our body are very much evil parts of wickedness. But now because you're in Christ, it doesn't have to be anymore. Right. Right. Like I love that image instantly. That's what popped in. I was like, oh, we've heard. Why have I heard don't use my feet to do something? Oh, yeah. Because Paul already tied it to us that mm-hmm. without being in Christ, we know the destruction that the parts, and he uses mouth, tongues, our eyes do not fear. Right. There is no fear before their eyes. So he uses these physical body parts to already have this understanding of, yeah, I'm not righteous. There's no one righteous. But the moment I become in Christ through faith in him and then my subsequent baptism, I now am a part of that righteousness. So these things no longer have to be evil. They actually can be redeemed. And I can choose. And I love that. Now offer yourself. Like, actually, you get to make that decision to make that offering. Yeah. And so just a really cool a really cool picture um, that just popped in my head as you were talking about that. Yeah, and what a cool picture for all 23 people who were baptized this this past Sunday, right? To be able to hear that message and to hear what what is now true in, in their lives as a result of the decision they made. So I just think that's, that's so cool. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much. I know that was a lot, but there was a lot of ground to cover here this week and uh, really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 18 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. Thank you so much for tracking along throughout the course of this conversation. We really do hope it was helpful and a good follow-up from Sunday's message. As always, if you have any questions or comments from our messages on Sunday, we hope you join us at quadcity.church slash Romans, where you could submit your questions to be answered right here on the podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope that this conversation added value as we digest the book of Romans together. And we'll see you again next time.